You've been, you've been practicing? Yeah. You've been practicing your hand fart noises? My hand farts. That's a pretty good hand fart. My palm plops. <laughs> I like that. Palm plop. Did you just come up with that? I did. Improv, baby. That's pretty clever. Thanks. How's that working out for you? Good. That's good. That's good. Probably the best line from Fight Club. Mm-hmm. This is Matt. And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. We're here. We're here. We're ready. Yes. We're pumped. We're jacked. Stoked. Yeah. That's, Psyched. That's what the, the kids say. Yeah, I guess so. I have um, Mr. Mistopheles stuck in my head. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Uh, I can't remember that one, so please don't. Do it out loud. I, I I have a couple of other songs from Cats rattling around in my okay. brain, so it's not like you're suffering okay. by yourself. Okay. Well, it's funny because I was singing it, and Meg's like, you, you've just got to stop. Uh, it's stuck in my head, and I've never heard this song. And then she's just like, and don't even start. Don't get that other song stuck in my head. I'm like, which one are you talking about? And you're like, what, memory? And then she was like, ah! No, it wasn't memory. It was... Um, she was referring to uh, the song from A Star is Born that was really popular last year with Lady Gaga and oh, Bradley Cooper. Gotcha. Yeah. So I started singing it. And she's like, I hate you so much. Because <laughs> then it gets stuck in her head. Yep. Yeah. And she doesn't really particularly care for that song. So, Fair enough. Speaking about A Star is Born, what were your Christmases like when you were a kid? <laughs> How did... Well, you know, Barbara Streisand was you know, usually I'm there. You know, I'm talking about the star, the, the star <laughs> when, when you know, the three wise men saw the star, mm-hmm. and then they followed the star to go see Jesus and um, bring him gifts. I was in a, a play when I was in elementary school. I went to a Catholic school for five years. Okay. I transferred when I was in fourth grade. Yeah, I went to on, in kindergarten and first grade as well. Okay, right. I mean, it's not great, but. <laughs> So I was in a play, and I played one of the three wise, wise men. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember anything about it, but I remember that I had a, like a punchline to a joke where I, I miss. I was like the... Com- you were the funny one. I was the funny one. You were, you were the Ringo of the three wise men. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was the curly. Oh, there you go. Yeah. They're all supposed to be funny. Anyway, and I remember the punchline was something like, I had like this bottle, a medicine bottle, and I'd pull out, and I misheard something. I said, Geritol, I have it right here which I don't, I didn't understand it when I was a kid. Yeah. But I was also in a play when I was a kid where I sold, I was I was this fancy elf, mm-hmm. and I sold Santa on this new modern sleigh. Oh, that sounds familiar. It kind of does. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember when this was, but I must have been pretty young, so. Yeah, I was in some sort of play, and I don't know if it was a nativity play or just a general sort of like, you know, Bible themed review 
when I was in okay. this Catholic school and I was Joseph and I came out, you know, parents are there and it's Catholic school. So there's like nuns and stuff. And I'm like, I'm Joseph, Jesus's stepdad. And like all the nuns were like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get in trouble? I didn't. But I, uh, there, I, my, as my mother recalls it, there were, um, audible gasps that, at my framing. But I was like, you know, he's not his real dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have one. Yeah. He's magical dad. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, he is his dad, right? Isn't that how it goes? What? Who? Jesus is his own dad. It's all like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all one thing, right? I don't know. <sighs> it's all magic. It's just, yeah. Speaking of, uh, <laughs> are you a fan of Santa? Uh, yeah, you know, I've never met the guy personally, but... Meg's a, Meg's a big Santa fan. Yeah. Big. Still proselytizes about him to this day. And it's exciting for her around this time of the year because she's got a lot of really young students. Yeah, I think when, um, certainly when that element plays into it, you know, in, in Meg's case, her students, um, my my sister has three kids. And it's, especially now that the, the younger two are sort of getting to the age where... Um, they can get excited about things and sort of talk about Santa. Yeah, it's, it's fun and it's really exciting to watch them get excited this time of year. Like, what are your memories of Santa? Were you like a firm believer when you were a kid? Are you always skeptical? I don't remember ever being especially skeptical. I do I do remember the point where I recognized that the note from Santa was my mom's handwriting. Oh, okay. And that was sort of like the thing. But a friend of mine, uh, we had proof and you know, when we were like seven or eight. The, oh. the proof that Santa was real was, um, do you remember when the Crash Dummy action figures were really big? Yeah. Well, there was one, it was a tractor. And it had like a farm Crash Dummy on it. Okay. I had the tractor, but I didn't have that farm dummy. And my friend got the tractor from Santa and it came with the farm dummy, the farmer dummy. Okay. And he's like, that's proof that Santa's real, man. Like, <laughs> you got yours from a store and it didn't come with this guy. <laughs> and Santa got it for me, and it came with the guy. There you go. Mm-hmm. I, when I was little, I received... Th- this is one of the few memories I have around S- Santa-specific memories, but one year I remember I got a letter in the mail from Santa mm-hmm. telling me that Rudolph would not be joining him and his crew that year because he was sick. Did, w- were you like especially excited about the idea of Rudolph stopping I, by? I have no idea. I don't... Remember the context for it, but I just remember that letter. I mean, you don't see any of them anyway. Yeah, this is so, true. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I have any like particular memories. You know, my folks were definitely the type to like videotape Christmas morning. Yeah, um, my dad, my dad did that too. We'd all line up at the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. But there's a decent age difference between me and my my siblings, so. There's a certain point where I had moved out and I would come home on Christmas and I'd be just like exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so the video is like my three siblings lined up at the top of the stairs and they're like, Matt, you there too? And I'd be like lying down behind them. And I'm like, Aah. and then you see the video come down. I come down with my long hair in my face. It's all like just being miserable and yep. just a fucking asshole. Being like, there's one, there's one video. So my dad like, Put the camera on a chair or something so you can see everybody opening their presents. My sister's a couple years younger than me, so you know they're sort of focused on her for a minute. And I was maybe like four or five, and I wander to the side of the room where the camera is, 
completely ignorant of the camera and like turn my back and do like a like a shifty like look over both shoulders and then like three knuckles deep just digging boogers out of my nose and chowing down on them. nice <laughs> yeah. nice mm-hmm. i don't know if i have any videos like that i may as well have been staring right down the barrel of it too and just either didn't know or didn't care maybe you were doing like a gym from the office you're performing for the yeah. camera yeah making gym face yeah and then picking my nose and eating it <laughs> yeah when did you find out that santa wasn't real um, and, and if Meg is listening, Santa is real Meg. Oh, sure. This is just for Tony. Uh, yeah, it was probably like, you know, it was probably shortly after the crash dummy thing. So probably like seven or eight. Yeah. I don't, is that like old? I don't think so. I don't know. Like what age is sort of the, the cutoff? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, clearly with well, Meg, the... we've established that there is no cutoff. But... Santa is magic and eternal and yeah, is a real thing apparently. This is true. That's what she has to run into in, in her classes because there are kids that still believe and then there are other kids that don't believe. And the kids that don't believe sometimes just want to be these complete entitled assholes and reveal it to the younger kids. Like, listen, you fucking dummies. Yeah. There's no Santa. And disclaimer again, there is a Santa. Sorry, mm-hmm. Mike. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I don't really have any memories of it. I just remember at one point in time driving home from school with my mom and she's like, yeah, you don't believe in Santa anymore, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Duh. Okay, so I don't remember being devastating. Yeah. I remember being, you know, like, oh, that that tracks. Sure. Which is inter- interesting because my sister has decided that she's not telling her kids about Santa. Okay. No Santa whatsoever. Of course, part of that is because like for her, it's about... um the religious aspect of the holiday and she doesn't want that she doesn't want Santa to supersede Jesus oh yes. okay mm-hmm. so and I, I guess she doesn't want to lie to her kids mm-hmm. so that's an interesting approach but again like that the thing that that's interesting there is that there's a chance that her kids could potentially ruin the magic for for other kids yeah I don't really have an opinion on that's it. interesting I, I, you know when you said you know she's not telling them about Santa my my thing was oh well if you if you tell them about Santa that opens the floodgates to the to the religious aspect and you know as someone who is not particularly religious that's uh it's like yeah you know who is Santa oh he's this guy he's not a saint let's not talk about that <laughs> The subject of today's episode really gets into the origins of Santa, or at least an origin of Santa. Uh, Today we're talking about Santa Claus the Movie from 1985. It's directed by, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, but I could not find uh, an interview where they're pronouncing his name. Jeannot Swark, maybe? He's French. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I thought like Juno Schwartz, which... Doesn't seem right either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Nope. Yeah. Tony, why are we talking about Santa Claus the movie? Uh, we're talking about Santa Claus the movie because this is something that you and I, it came up in conversation once and, and we both realized that it was something we saw when we were kids, but probably haven't seen it since the late 80s at, at the latest. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a weird sort of um, sort of pop culture memory from when we were kids. Um, this episode's coming out around Christmas time, so we thought, you know, seasonally it, it fit the theme, but also kind of spinning the idea of what did we miss to, to look at something that we have seen, but have, you know, ha- there's such a, a distance since we last watched it, or, you know, we were so young at the time that a lot of it probably didn't stick or went over our heads. Yeah, I, I honestly had 
no memory of this whatsoever, other than it was heavily advertised when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, a lot like the subject of our last episode, Cats, the commercial was sort of burned into my brain. Long ago, in a faraway land of ice and snow, the legend was born and the magic became real. I'm an elf! An elf! Yes! For everyone who believes in him and for everyone who wants to, Alexander Salkine presents Dudley Moore, John Lithgow, in the movie with the whole legend, the whole adventure, and the magical wonder of Santa Claus, the movie. Seeing is believing. And Alexander and Ilya Salkine production starts Friday. But I remember, I remember that ad being all over the place. Yeah, I so I don't. I was born in '85. Okay. So um, my memory of this was that it existed on a blank VHS tape that my parents had taped a bunch of other Christmas specials onto, mm-hmm. stuff like uh, Frosty and Rudolph uh, and The Grinch. So I watched this probably four or five times a year, every year for. For you know a, a while, so. yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was the type of kid who would just like if the TV was on, I would sit and watch it. There is a a chance that I saw this in the theaters, but I again, I have no memory of it. The only things that really stuck with me were the product placement, yeah, which you know is um, a true testament to the horrors of product placement because I remember the shots of the um, the homeless orphan character Joe peering hungrily through the McDonald's window. It plays like a McDonald's commercial. It does. And like and then there's a shot of him drinking a Coke and like it's all dark and it's just this bright red, beautiful yeah. can of Coke. He takes a big sip and he's like looks at it and he's yeah. like Re- ah, it's yeah. like refreshed. And then he does a burp too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's like a Coke commercial. I remember that there uh, I, I kind of remembered I misremembered the plot. I, I sort of remembered the the general idea of it, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, John Lithgow as the cackling villain. I mean, he's memorable in everything. So it's funny because that commercial we played at the end says starring Dudley Moore and John Lithgow, and neither of them play Santa, Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's called Santa Claus the Movie, mm-hmm. which is a very '80s thing. Like, what can we do to to make this stand out a bit. And it's like, oh, obviously it's Santa Claus the movie, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's kind of funny because in some ways the movie itself is trying to play with that idea of, of you know, corporate greed and all that stuff. So it's like having its cake and eat it, eating it too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a movie where, you know, Reagan era capitalism and, and rapidly changing technology kind of throw Santa into an existential tailspin. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't we just kind of, I guess, go through it and break it down and start talking about mm-hmm. uh, all the pieces and, and what makes this movie so weird? Yeah, because that's the thing. Um, and, you know, just to get it out of the way right at the top, this is not a great movie. No. But, um, and you and I have talked about this a little bit off mic, there there are a lot of really genuinely interesting ideas going on. I just don't think any of them are particularly well executed. But uh, it's still fairly fun to watch. Just despite its its flaws, which are numerous and pretty big. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. It has a lot of similarities to Cats in a way because it's this big mega budget um, piece of entertainment that doesn't entirely work, but it's fascinating to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a little more easy to get well, through than sure. Cats, Cats is kind of hard to watch in in parts, but it was fun to talk about, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so hopefully this will prove the same. But yeah, 
and in that commercial as well, it was interesting because they talk about the producers right up front. Mm -hmm. Like the producers were the big deal for this and they were the ones that were pushing for it. And they're all the same producers that made Superman the movie. And it also has the same writers as Superman the movie. Uh, Yeah, one of those writers actually also wrote Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) Yeah, it's David Newman and Leslie Newman. David Newman wrote um, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, and Superman. And it's funny because this... Uh, has a lot of similarities to Superman the movie. Um, it's sort of like an origin story and then maybe a sort of like adventure story mm-hmm. um, tagged some, on halfway through. Some some um, sweeping green screen flights over New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A secret fortress at the North Pole. Yep. Yeah. A villain that's, you know, a corporate fat cat. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Someone mm-hmm. that's interested in making tons and tons of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts off with um, this older woman telling the same story to all her kids mm-hmm. or family. Yeah, like uh, a, a village. Centuries ago. Yeah, uh, there, there is a shot of like a uh, an hourglass at one point. So I think the this this movie starts in like the mid-14th century or so. Yeah. 14th, 15th century. And she's ta- telling the story to the kids about the Vendigum, <laughs> which is uh, we discover our, our elves. Yep. Um, but it's funny when it starts off because it's this weird out of context thing. It almost feels like like they're trying to make this big fantasy movie mm-hmm. um, or they're taking all these different tropes that you see in fantasy and in adventure movies or, or, or 80s action and adventure movies in particular and putting them all into this big Santa origin story. Yeah. And the, so the Vendicum or you know the elves. Um, also get elaborated on in the novelization, which is a thing I don't think happens as much anymore. But every movie, not every movie, but a lot of movies had like you know, a novelization that really expanded and, and mm. kind of uh, illuminated aspects of the world that maybe didn't need to be described in any more detail. Did you read this book? No, I read about it. You read it about it. it. it sort of Did you know... Did you know that there's also a Marvel Comics adaptation? I saw that as well, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And what's particularly interesting to me, oh, Tony's shaking his head, he knows exactly what I'm going to talk about, but originally John Carpenter was attached to direct this movie, which is so wild. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted Brian Dennehy to play Santa. Mm-hmm. And I guess like he had um, a falling out with the producers because he wanted Final Cut and he wanted to do the score, which is just... Man, that that sounds like a great movie. Because this is like the height of his command of the medium. This yep. is around 85, so he was just hitting them out of the park, one after the other. The Fog, Escape from New York. The Thing. The Thing's coming right up. So, like, come on. Uh, would Big Trouble in Little China have happened yet? That's a little after that. Okay. Yeah. Come Starman on. I mean, is with, right around then. With, you know, The Thing alone should have proven his credentials to uh, well, do an Arctic setting. It, the Thing bombed, so at that time, yeah, probably still, not. Now I'm just thinking of like the reindeer freaking out and their heads blossoming oh, into like meat flowers and <laughs> tentacles whipping out of their neck stumps. It would have been a different movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it would have been his first bomb. <laughs> um, yeah, so back to um, this... This this family telling this story. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about the Vendigum, and then I guess every time this year, they they refer to him as Uncle Claus. Yes, um, and he's a, a toy maker, and he shows up with his wife Anya. Mm-hmm. He's the only person with like a midwestern accent. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and he's played, Santa uh, in this is played by... Um, David Huddleston. Who is? The Big Lebowski. The millionaire. The Big Lebowski himself. Yes. Yeah. And like, and I kind of, it really breaks my heart that his voice wasn't enough of a tell. And I just couldn't, because it's, you know. It's I think of, he's, he's, you know, it's like almost 20 years mm-hmm. in between those movies. Uh, and he's, he has a beautifully manicured Santa beard mm-hmm. and, and Santa hair. Yeah. Um, and he's not digging into, I mean, he's not like a complete asshole. So That's true. But, maybe, you know, you know, I, you know, I've recognized him from other things. He's sure. one of the... Uh, the townsfolk in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, I mean, he pops up a lot. He shows up to give uh, gifts to all the kids, and he actually comes, uh, he arrives with uh, Donner and Blitzen. Mm-hmm. So already those reindeer in the fold. And I thought the reindeer were actually kind of cool looking. They're all like these, when they're in close-up, they're all like these animatronic puppets. Right. I, I thought they looked pretty cool. Right, and I didn't remember them as being puppets from childhood. Yeah, but I thought their eyes were pretty expressive, especially for 1985. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if that was made, and it would probably be made for Netflix right now, um, it would all be CG. Um, so he's leaving with his wife after they deliver the toys and they get stuck in this big snowstorm. Mm-hmm. And then the Vendigum show up to rescue him. Yeah, and they've been waiting for him. Yeah. They've been waiting for the, the prophesized one to show up and they, <laughs> they lead him to the North Pole to uh-huh. this, this workshop that that uh, only you know certain people can see. We see Santa and his wife kind of like frozen in the snow. Yeah, Although there is one shot where you can see the house in the background. It's kind of weird. There's like lights in the background. That was the lantern on his sleigh because Sandra said the same thing. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It didn't look that way. Maybe it was just like the resolution of my screen. Yeah, maybe. Um, but w- when this thing appears in front of him, it's almost like a giant star in the sky. And then it's like a triangle of light below it, almost yeah, it like the like Christmas, Christmas tree. tree. Yeah. yeah, it's really funny. But the elves save Santa, uh, and then we meet Patch, who's played, who's this curious elf, who's like an inventor, mm-hmm. uh, and he's played. That's played by Dudley Moore, who's top build. Makes a lot of really cringy elf puns. I, I listed all the elf puns. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yep. Elf confidence. Elf made. Elf assurance. I like that one. Elf explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> elf control, I think, is one. Elf control. Mm-hmm. Um, elf portrait. Elf explanatory. <laughs> and and this one too from Santa. Heaven helps those who help their elf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all of them. Uh, elf flagellation was in there. <laughs> elf mutilation. <laughs> elf immolation. <laughs> yeah, I get nothing. Yeah, I get nothing. Elf derbation. No, sorry. Um, took that one too far. Um. Yeah, so they pick, they they get Santa, they show him the shop. So essentially, the cell, the, the elves have just been waiting mm-hmm. for years, and they're they have this massive shop where they've been building all these toys. And it's crazy because they show Santa the shop, and it's like this glowing light. It's like it seems like a massive hall that goes on forever, and there's this blinding light at the end of it, almost as if like Santa sa- died. Yeah, and he's like seeing the light for the first time. Uh, it's really funny, but it's weird because it's just like, oh, here are your reindeer that are getting acclimated to this and here are the other reindeer they're going to be part of your your sleigh so there's a lot of that like explaining the mythology of santa like these are where all the reindeer come from this is where the sleigh comes from because patch sees the sleigh uh santa's original sleigh is like whoa we can make improvements on this Mm -hmm. we can teach him about it and we learn like patch has like has an idea for the alarm clock (laughs) yep yep and he talks about pipes like indoor piping and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and they're all looking at him like 
what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one knows what a pipe is. And, and Patch also picks out the red color for Santa. Yes. Yeah. And the workshop is really, it's kind of neat. It's big. The, the production design of it. And there are all these little details too, like, uh, you know, the elves who are assigned to painting the toys use their beards as paintbrushes. And yeah, it's all like a big Rube Goldberg device, Circa the Dark Ages. It's all like, you know, wooden cogs. And yeah, it's really, it's it's fun to look at. And, you know, well, this will just kind of come up a couple of times. But um, when we got to that workshop scene for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember being like that feeling of being a kid and being like, oh, wow, this is really cool. But I also was wondering, like, how come there's, you know, when they get to the present time, like, they're still just making stuff out of wood. <laughs> yeah. So they go through this whole rigmarole of, of setting Santa up to be the Santa that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa is kind of like a title. Yeah. It seems like. Yeah. Like Darth. His name is just Claus. They just, re- they never refer to him by first name. It's, uh, initially, it's Uncle Claus, and mm-hmm. then they just re- call him Santa. Um, but then, you know, he dones the, the, the classic red Santa suit with the hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they bring him out into this giant hallway and then Burgess Meredith comes out as the ancient elf. Yes. And it's kind of funny because he has like this really long beard, but it's like it's like two elves are carrying it. Yeah. And even like, you know, they've got it like wrapped around their hands yeah. so long. Uh, and he's the one who dubs him the Santa Claus. And, and mm-hmm. they're all like, Santa. Yeah. And they, he refers to him as uh, the chosen one. Mm-hmm. But he also says because he has no child of his own. And they've been like searching for this master toy maker that's selfless in order to to become this this Santa character. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. But then he he tells Santa, he's like, "You're gonna go around the world and deliver presents to to all these children." And one one line that stuck out to me is Santa's like, "How am I supposed to do that?" And then Burgess Meredith goes, "Time travels with you," <laughs> which I thought was a fun little play on on just time travel in general. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that he's moving so fast as it's like he's sort of bending time to his whim that one night a year. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we just see this montage of Santa delivering presents throughout time. Yep. We see the origin of the Nadia Nice List. There's um, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, boy and girl in, I don't know, the 17th or 18th century. And that boy's a real motherfucker who's like mean to her, his sister's cat. And uh, she writes a, a, an impassioned letter to Santa. And he's like, I can't. You know, I can't pick and choose. And then, you know, he decides, fine, we'll make a, a naughty and a nice list. And he tells his chief elf to go put the names down. He's like, and don't fuck it up. I'm going to check that list twice. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that we see in a lot of modern movies. Like, that. Will, that's one of the most fascinating things about this movie to me is it kind of felt like a lot of things that we complain about now. Right. Where it's this over-explaining of these things that we don't need explanations for. Yeah. Um, it's um, like that origin story. It, it's like he's a chosen one, but they don't really go much beyond telling him he's the chosen one. Sure. Did you ever hear Patton Oswalt has a bit about the Star Wars prequels? It all kind of culminates in him yelling, I don't care where the things I love come from. I just love the things I love. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've seen yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, I don't know. As a kid, I was never particularly curious as to how reindeer fly. Yeah. Turns out it's magical oats. You know, I, yeah, none of that, none of those sort of um, fixtures of the Santa mythology sort of demanded uh, an further elaboration. But yeah, because we also get there's a moment where they talk about how thing like he's becoming so popular that they're writing all these poems and songs about him. That was a great touch. I loved when um, he gets a he takes offense to the line, 
um, his, you know, he laughs. Uh, his when he laughs, his stomach shakes like a bowl full of jelly. Yeah, he's but, like a bowl full of jelly. Yeah, he's like really hurt. He's like, oh, the world thinks I'm fat. Yeah, and then it follows it up with him eating like celery sticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then he's starting to get burnt out. Uh, well, well, we reach the 20th century, and he's starting to get burnt out. So he's like, hey, we need to. Um, I we, need an assistant. I need an assistant. Yeah, and so. Um, and and this is funny because like this all seems like set up, but this is forty minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite a bit of time. Yeah. Uh, and the first half and the second half feel like almost like two different movies. Yeah. The first half is predominantly set in the workshop. Yeah. And sort of, um, but yeah, like that that sort of, you know, showing the workaday life of Santa. You know, I think when he realizes that he needs to bring an assistant on to help him with stuff, he's done that year's Christmas. And Mrs. Claus and another elf are talking, and he like starts to fall asleep into his soup. <laughs> he's just beat. Yeah, he's burnt out. Yeah. So he auditions two guys, Patch, who's the only uh, elf that we've talked about. I will read some of the other names because they're um, they're kind of funny. Dooley, Puffy, mm-hmm. who's the one that is competing with Patch to become Santa's assistant. Yeah. Goober, Bog, Honka, Vout, and Groot. Oh, uh, there's another detail about the workshop and the elves that's really clever. Then I didn't really pick up what was happening, but there's a scene where there's a montage of them making toys, and they're all getting up out of bed to go to work, and there's little plaques at the end of their bed that have a name, and they flip it, and then there's a different name on it. And Sandra's like, oh, my wife's like, oh, yeah, they, 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 they work and sleep in shifts. So they're just, like, setting up the bed for the next elf. It's kind of like all this hard labor but they kind of like they like love all, it though yeah that's how they justify it. they're just like oh well we love what we do mm-hmm. this is what we do because we're doing it for the kids yep which is funny because what makes so patch is selected as santa's assistant and essentially even though it's now the 20th century patch comes up with an assembly line mm-hmm. <laughs> which is they've kind of already been doing an assembly line kind yeah, of thing anyway but this but, is like a machine that yeah, does it yeah they, not, not the elves right they build this big contraption that that mechanizes a lot of their process. Yeah, and it's moving too fast, so it keeps fucking up. Right, but the first time it works, and yeah. he's, you know, he's he he wins the the, yeah. the the he wins the position of Santa's assistant. Yeah, but before that, when it starts uh, moving too fast and and making a lot of mistakes, the other elves are like, you know, this is patch, this is not working. Well, this is too fast. And Patch goes, too fast, welcome to the 20th century, <laughs> which is, you know. Yeah, the 20th century is almost over. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's a great scene. So you, you, he wins the award. The machine works fairly flawlessly. You know, Puffy and his friends have their doubts, but Santa gives it to Patch. And you see the machine at work again. And no, it's... no, it actually, it doesn't do that. He, the machine fucks up before they do the thing, where they before they do the competition. It's just that they have all these piles of toys. Oh. It, ah. it all happens once. There's a second montage where all the like none of the screws go in. Yeah, that's the first that's the first time. Because Santa walks by and he sees it working well and then Santa leaves mm-hmm. and then it fucks up. And then that's when Patch says, "Too fast, welcome to the 20th century." And then it shows the competition where you see the small pile of toys made by Puffy and his gang and then you see this massive pile of toys from uh, Patch. My mistake. It's quite all right. I watched it this morning. <laughs> um, so after Patch wins the award, we get to see children using the toys that were made with the yeah. machine. And I want to backtrack just a second because there's this moment. Um, the first time, right before Santa delivers this, this batch of shitty toys, the first time we see anything outside the perspective or the, the, the world of Santa and his elves, 
um, it cuts to like um, a Santa on you know a street Santa with oh, a bell. Yep, yep. And he's asking for donations. And this is when we're introduced to Joe, who you had mentioned earlier, who's like the poor kid that lives on the street. And he kind of looks over and he sees this Santa reach his hand into the donations and takes some for himself. And then he pulls out like a bottle of alcohol and swigs from it and stuff. Yeah. And that's like our first introduction to this world. And it felt very kind of you're like, boom, 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like this crass sort of commercialism and in, in like these people stealing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I thought that was really funny, but that was our introduction to Joe, and then we also get an introduction to Cornelia, mm-hmm. um, where Joe peers into her house, and she's lives in this. She's wealthy, mm-hmm. and um, this little girl, and then she. That's when she gives him the aforementioned Coca Cola can. Yeah, and, yeah she and, gives him some leftovers and a and a Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, it, 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 you sort of it it lets you know that she's they've noticed each other, and and she is sort of this. Um, this bright spot of generosity and kindness in this otherwise grimy world. Yeah, and and then this is when we see Santa making his annual delivery, and this is he, when he meets Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because he sees Joe, and Joe doesn't believe him, and he kind of uses <clears throat> magic to prove it. And then um, he's basically like, "Hey, Joe, why don't you hang out with me?" And kind of takes Joe joy riding for a bit, and he teaches him how to use the sleigh, which is basically just like say yo. Yep, it's really silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're delivering presents to Cornelia, and that's when Cornelia meets Santa. And it's a funny line because Santa goes, when she f- sees Santa, he goes, boy, I hate it when this happens. Um, and I kind of like that little bit of just, it wasn't Santa trying to be like, oh, no. Like, it was just this, yeah, this happens and whatever. It's not sure. a big deal kind of thing. Like, they're building up this, the myth that is Santa. Yeah. Like, in, like that that's unavoidable. I like to think that in the workshop there's a sign that says like uh days since Santa's been busted by a kid at on Christmas Eve and the, they're like ugh and they have to roll the counter back to zero. <laughs> so after this like Santa promises to Joe that he'll take him again next year. And I thought the telling thing of of this one of the funniest aspects to me of this whole movie is that there's this idea that Joe is pure because he's kind of heart and that he won't accept these gifts because he doesn't need them. But he's poor and he lives on the street and Santa won't do anything about that. Yeah. He'll bring him a gift. He'll carve him an elf. But that's it. Yeah. And uh, what is Joe says, um, I like to travel light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so it's so funny because, yeah, at this point, he's been Santa for hundreds of years. Not to mention that he was probably, you know, pushing 60 when the elves recruited him in the first place. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean you don't have a house? What do you mean you don't have a family? It's like, was he not Santa during the plague? <laughs> Did he not? Had he not? I can't believe that it took he's him. He's delivering all these presents to all these dead bodies on, piled up on wheelbarrows. Yeah. He, he did not run into a single poor, starving orphan <laughs> until 1985. I just thought it was really funny because like, this is typical of now, too, where we just look at this poor homeless kid and we're just like, oh, man, but they're pure of heart. Yeah. But that's it. But we're not going to help him. Yeah. He's not like, come live at the North Pole with me. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you stay here. We'll do this again next year because this is, this is fun. Yeah, yeah. And you get to eat lots of cookies. Yeah, yeah. You've got, an, you've got, a, yeah. You've got a fire going in a barrel. You're all set. But I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking care of you. <laughs> Sorry, kid. Union rules. Can't bring you back with me. And this is where we, we discover that he delivered a lot of shitty toys. Yeah. and the Because of Patch's in, invention. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great scene that I remember- 
the feeling of feeling very sad for these children because like it's two little girls and around like these kind of like scooter, not like kind of like big wheel kind of things, and the wheels fall off and they kind of like crash and they start crying. And there's a kid with a wagon and the wheels fall off of that, so like. He keeps going. The wagon's stuck in the middle of the street. And then a school bus just comes and runs it over. (laughs) And then Santa gets returns. The chimney that dumps all the letters to Santa starts spitting out broken toys. And he's like, we've never got returns. Yeah, and his assistant's just like, maybe we can put out some kind of statement. Yeah, I love it. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, it it is. It's weird that the world sort of acknowledges the existence of this magical toy giving immortal to the point where, yeah, he's got like a, a PR core back at the North yeah. Pole being like, well, you know, we get ahead of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so 80s. And so it's at this point where, where Santa realizes that like, hey, Patch Patch is the one that's responsible for this. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really get mad. He just basically says like, you can't be my assistant anymore. But Patch kind of goes like, well, you know what? I'm a bit of a free spirit anyway. And so Patch leaves on his own. Yeah, he kind of, he he doesn't, it's not as angry, but it's, the sentiment is kind of a, you can't fire me, I quit. Yeah. Because he has like the red apron. He's like, and he, you know, he decided red was Santa's yeah. color. He's like, you know, I don't think red's my color. And he gives him the apron. He mm-hmm. kind of walks away. Yeah. And then he leaves on his own and Santa's like, yeah, I wasn't throwing him out. Yeah. He goes to the real world. Yeah. To New York. Mm-hmm. And he. Um, and this is when, um, at the hour mark. So we're an hour into a movie that's an hour and 46 minutes. We're introduced to the villain. Yep. Uh, it's a character called BZ, uh, played by uh, John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. And he's a second build, and we meet him an hour in. Yeah. Again, similar to Superman, where we don't meet um, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor till like a good 40 or so minutes mm-hmm. into the movie. Um, it's, so it's like, again, like this two separate movies, because this is really when I think the movie starts to get a lot more interesting. Yep. But we're introduced to him. Uh, he's at a he's basically this toy tycoon. Yeah, and we're introduced to him in um. He, there's like a he's in court. Because yeah, his ba- toys suck. Well, it's not that they suck; they're dangerous. Yeah. So they they present um you know they show a bunch of the toys. The only one that I remember off the top of my head is like <laughs> there's this stuffed bear, and like they rip the head off of it and shake it out, and instead of stuffing, it's like. Rusty nails and broken glass. <laughs> it's like the SNL um, bag of glass sketch. Yeah, uh, when you know from the original cast, and it's so it's so bizarre. Like it's so cartoonish. Like why would there be nails in there? But like they really lean into how much of a scumbag this guy is. Yeah, super scumbag. And and it's it's a perfect it's a perfect John Lithgow role because he just like sinks his teeth into it. Yeah, it's a big hammy performance. You mm-hmm. can tell. He's having just a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. This is when Patch decides he's, in order to get back into the good graces of Santa, he's going to prove that he's a good assistant to BZ. So he goes to work for BZ. I I have this little clip where Mm -hmm. they kind of uh, talk a bit about, uh, I guess, what their plan is. If you give extra kisses, you get bigger hugs. Sorry. That's what Santa's wife's always saying. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, that's all the advertising you'll ever need. It better be. How many workers does this uh, product require? Just me. What? No payroll? Well, my needs are simple. A bowl of stew, heavy on the dill, a cold place to sleep. Mm-hmm. What would it cost? Cost? Cost who? Uh, the people who, who buy the toy. Well, nothing. We're going to give them away free. 
Oh. Oh, that's fantastic. How do you turn your face so red so fast? For real? Well, that's how we do it at the North Pole. Well, that's not how we do it here! In a free enterprise system! On the other hand, this would go a long way towards cleaning up my public image. Excuse me? It's not a bad investment. (laughs) Yeah, so Patch, being this naive elf who has never existed in the real world, aligns himself with this sleazeball, presents him with the idea of creating something one-of-a-kind and magical, and by giving it to people, he's sort of like trying to prove that this whole idea of the North Pole and Santa's workshop can exist in the modern world. But yeah, to get back in Santa's good graces, John Lithgow sees it as a reason to, or as a means to sort of fix his public image, basically exploit this small town rube into doing it for free. Uh, and yeah, I mean, what what en- what the, the product ends up being is a lollipop that's imbued with the same magic whatever that lets the reindeer fly. Mm-hmm. And um, the kids, they float. Yeah, the kids float. Yeah. And it becomes like a phenomenon. Yeah. But uh, Patch also makes a, like a modern version of the sleigh that's powered on its own. So mm-hmm. it's like this, essentially like... A car. Yeah, a flying car kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and and so this is pretty successful. The kids really love it. And um, so they're starting to forget Santa. And Santa's basically like, well, maybe the, maybe the kids don't care. Yeah, there's a great scene where, um, yeah, he's sort of having this crisis. And one of the elves presents him with uh, a doll that's, you know, kind of supposed to be like, a, it's they're trying to present more modern toy ideas to Santa. So they show him this doll and he goes, does it fly? And the elf goes, it wet and santa just looks so despondent he's like great i have to make i have to make dolls that piss themselves to make these kids happy and he's so bummed out so the the lollipops are such a huge success that lithgow can't wait another 12 months you need to strike while the iron's hot he's going to release a new and improved version on march 25th on christmas 2 yeah it's so great the people don't want to wait a whole year they're dying for a sequel Bring it out on March 25th, and we'll call it Christmas Too. So when I talked earlier about weird and interesting ideas, most of them have to do with the John Lithgow character. Yeah. Like, I love this. This sort of just gross, you know, we got to keep feeding that machine, man. We just got to keep giving people what they want with no real... It's just so empty and heartless and calculated. It seems like a lot of 80s villains were based around these big corporate businessmen that were trying to take things away from children sure. or from from people that uh, poor people. Mm-hmm. Ex- uh, exploiting you know, the, the citizenry's joy and love for a thing to their own financial gain. Yeah. And this just kind of flips that with Lex Luthor stealing, trying to make money off of real estate. <laughs> this right. is just him making money off of toys and exploiting mm-hmm. people and not really caring about the public in general just to make money. Um, a very 80s villain, mm-hmm. I guess. But I can imagine as they wrote this, they were just like, this is perfect because then this sets up our own Santa sequel. <laughs> right. Um, like you knew that they wanted to make a sequel for something like this because mm-hmm. this whole thing was just 
predicated on the idea that there was a big budget Santa movie and they were going to make a lot of them because this is the 80s and we make lots of these type of big budget movies and there's going to be lots of sequels. Right. Well, I mean, at this point they had the the Salkinds had made the first three Superman movies with Christopher Reeve and uh, Supergirl, Supergirl and directed by um, the same guy who directed Santa Claus the movie. Mm-hmm. To diminishing returns, uh, Superman 3 and Supergirl did not do nearly as well as they would hoped. So, yeah, maybe this was their, like, oh, we need a we need a new franchise to get going. And they landed on Santa? <laughs> they weren't like, maybe we could try another superhero. Because we've got a lot of goodwill. We've, we've done okay by Superman so far. Let's try Batman out. Let's do... Santa is a superhero. In this, absolutely. Yeah. I guess it was just like intellectual property that was in the public domain. Yeah, <laughs> so they, they can do whatever to they buy want. the rights to Santa. Yeah. So shortly after this, or I may be getting the timeline mixed up, but we learned that Cornelia, the little girl who uh, was giving the food to Joe and who met Santa, um, is actually uh, John Lithgow's niece. We discovered this because um, Joe is sick because it's been raining and it's cold, it's the winter. And, and Santa didn't give him a house. <laughs> yeah, fucking Santa, man. Here's a little toy. Here's a toy, little boy. Mm-hmm. You don't need a home. Ho, ho, ho. Um, to be fair... If in a pinch, he could have thrown that wooden carving into his oil drum fire there you to go. stay warm. Joe's kind of sick. Cornelia takes him into the house. They eavesdrop on her uncle. Mm-hmm. And they find out that he's like, you know, after the success of the candy canes. The lollipops. The candy canes are going to be the sequel. They, yeah. So they had already established the sequel at this point. And this, he's talking about the sequel plans. So the candy canes. He's like, Santa's going to be irrelevant after this, especially because we're having Christmas too. And so um, Joe, because he's sick, sneezes, and so they go to run away, but but um, Lithgow finds Joe, and they kind of take him away. Uh, and then this is when Cornelia <laughs> writes a letter to Santa for help. Yeah, and it's very coy. Like, just, like, yeah. a life is in danger. Just get to it. Yeah, but she writes a letter and then puts it in an envelope mm-hmm. and then leaves it on her desk, and then she kind of... I think she's like called to dinner or something like that. Yeah. And then she leaves and then the Santa and then the the envelope magically just floats away and Santa gets in and well, decides he has to kind of say Yeah, things. that's the idea. Letters to Santa are yeah. automatically going to deliver themselves. But um, Lithgow's assistant discovers that there's too much magic in the candy canes and that they're, they're going to explode. Uh, and there's this great scene where he goes to tell Lithgow, and I also pull, pulled this. And again, these are probably the only scenes with Lithgow, <laughs> but they're so fun and they're so ridiculous. And this one in particular is really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, so let's play that one. BZ, we've got to talk. Oh, you ever had one of those nights when you just want to drop a bomb on the whole world? Some damn kid in my basement. You waltzing into the house in the middle of the night. By the way, Tazer, what the hell did you want anyway? It's the candy canes. Well, what about? Something's wrong. They're dangerous. What the hell are you talking about? This past guy. Uh-huh. He told me he keeps that secret ingredient of his in cold storage because it comes from the North Pole. Uh-huh. So we started manufacturing the candy canes. Uh-huh. It's a very powerful mixture, you know. Uh-huh. So I just assumed I should refrigerate them, too. Damn it, Towser, get on with your story. Stop giving me all these short sentences and making me go, uh-huh, 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 like some kind of damn moron. Uh-huh. I just really like his delivery of uh-huh, and I kind of wish they had leaned into it a little bit more. And he yeah. did, like, ten more of them. And so Lithgow's solution to this is just, like, just let's just ignore it like again like yeah i sold those teddy bears full of broken glass yeah what's the big deal if a few kids explode that's what i think is so surprising on this rewatch is that this isn't a movie about santa saving christmas it's about santa 
saving the world's population of children from from horrible fiery candy cane death. <laughs> <laughs> but he, in a way, he actually doesn't because once um, Cornelia writes this letter to Santa, Santa decides he has to go save Joe because she's like, you have to rescue Joe. Mm-hmm. Santa doesn't know too much about the candy canes, but Patch discovers that Joe was kidnapped and so they kind of hash things out and and Patch is just like, oh, I'll help Santa. I'll bring the candy canes to Santa. So really Santa, it's just happenstance in a way that Santa doesn't, he saves the day by rescuing Patch and Joe, not mm-hmm. by necessarily knowing anything about the candy canes. Right. Um, and Lithgow gets captured just because like they call the cops on him and they go to, 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 to kidnap, to, they go to arrest him. And he just chows down on too many candy canes and literally floats away into space. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. He just jumps out the window and just starts floating away. Mm-hmm. And it's very evocative of uh, Zod and the Phantom Zone yeah. with, from the Salkind's earlier Superman movie. I think at this part it kind of falls apart because like I said, like it, they don't connect all the pieces necessarily. And uh, Patch races off in his like super jet sleigh with Joe to the North Pole with candy canes in tow. Mm-hmm. And Santa is basically chasing them down to prevent the candy canes from exploding. He does give a great rallying speech to the reindeer. I think that that's the only thing that happens. He's just like, you must go faster. And and then, but they, they kind of make a big deal. You know, it's kind of like the... Um, you know, if you show if you show a gun in the first act, you got to use it by the end. And he hints that there's a, a loop-de-loop that he's always wanted the reindeer to do. Yeah. Earlier in the movie, can't do it. And he's like, "All right, boys, the only thing we got to we got to do the loop-de-loop in order to save Patch and Joe." But they don't. Like, <laughs> it's just I, I yeah I guess because it looks kind of cool. Yeah, they do the loop-de-loop. Yeah, but yeah. like it was completely unnecessary. Did not seem to serve a big purpose. Yeah. It was all calculated on the idea that. Well, cause they, we're going to time it right so that right after the the flying car explodes, we'll loop back around and catch them. But yeah. they already flew under it and could have just been like, "Yeah, guys, why don't you hop on? It's uh, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Again, like a lot of the movie is just kind of like that. It's leaning into its excess. Yeah, and like not to nitpick like, oh, well, the plot doesn't track. But like it just, it all starts to get very messy in a way that the movie wasn't before just to kind of tie up loose ends. Yeah, the ending's pretty rushed. Yeah. And again, like, there's no real like Santa saves the day thing. He just saves Joe and, mm-hmm. and and Patch. Yeah, and they get back to the North Pole. And I guess at that point they just Cornelia and Joe are like, "Hey, can we stay?" And then one of the elves is just like, "I guess we need a teacher or something yeah. wacky." Yeah, because Joe's homeless and Cornelia lives with her aunt and uncle, rich assholes. Yeah, and then it just kind of abruptly ends. Yep. And then there's like a there's a few credits and then we, like a a brief moment post-credit scene where we see Lithgow kind of floating off in, into space. Into yeah. space, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, where am I going? And then it has this awful 80s Christmas power ballad. The end. The end. No sequels. No. This movie cost, at the time, $50 million. So in 2019 dollars is roughly $120 million. Wow. It made $5 million in its opening weekend. Oof. Never made its budget back. It made 23 total. Mm-hmm. So this is a massive bomb. Yeah. Big flop. Did it actually come out in Christmas time? It or? came out November 27th. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not good, but it's it's kind of endearing in, in the fact that it is this weird cultural curiosity. I think there's a lot of, especially when you get into Christmas movies or holiday movies, 
a lot of them are kind of terrible, but I think a lot of them kind of get roped into people's fond memories of the season, of family traditions. This was a tradition for me. This was, uh, I would put in that tape and I would just sit there for full screen for, well, yeah, I mean, it was taped off of HBO and yeah. 1980, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there, I'd watch the whole tape. I would watch five hours and I would watch a bunch of the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Santa Claus, a movie was in the middle there. And I just, me and my sister would just watch it every year. So it's something that I, you know, it is the the perfect bit of nostalgia bait. It, it really reminds me of being a kid and being excited for Christmas. And I don't know that I even necessarily enjoyed this movie, but it always felt like a part of my family's Christmas tradition. But I think I think you can say that about a lot of, especially like TV Christmas specials. Certainly some are better than others. They're not all terrible. But I mean, it's kind of low effort. You know, you can take um, a handful of, uh, you know, in uh, in demand celebrities, put a scarf on them, have them sing a song, do some weird crossover shit. And like people are going to check it out. And especially back then, like everyone was just filling up blank tapes of stuff. I guess this movie sort of has a little bit of a cult following. I guess like people like you and I that grew up with it and watched it on TV or mm-hmm. rented it or whatnot, um, it became like a perennial sort of Christmas classic, I guess. Sure. Although I don't know a ton of people that are familiar with it. I've talked to a few people um, in preparation for this episode just mentioning the movie and i think most people were like oh yeah yeah i know that yeah. or i've heard of that but no one being like oh yeah that's the one with lithgow or dudley moore yeah oh yeah that's the one where the elf goes rogue and gives some scumbag magic so he can make a bunch of volatile candy canes it's very much of the 80s it's not as consistently good or you know i think something like elf does the same idea um, it's a little sweeter. It's not as cynical, and it's certainly not as weird. But they both sort of devolve into this weird, like high-speed chase through the city <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I did really the whole idea of of just what the '80s were all about being so dark and cynical that even Santa was uh, incapable of uh, of not being made depressed by it. It was really kind of fun yeah, for me. The idea that like it shows his origin, but then also shows this moment of him not falling, but definitely having a moment of of crises, like self doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, in that sense, there is sort of an arc, but it kind of like fails it at the end because really, it, it doesn't address kids wanting Santa to deliver toys again or being excited about the idea of Santa or what he represents. It just jettisons that by yeah. the end. All for this kind of last minute chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, like you know, it really uh, it asks the question: Oh, what have these modern times done to our holiday traditions? And then it's like, here's this McDonald's commercial in the middle of the movie. Um, so it doesn't really do anything with those no. Things. I don't know that it's actually interested in answering the questions it asks. I don't know if this is the movie for that. Uh, again, to compare it to something like Elf, which doesn't necessarily, you know, it plays with this idea of of a greedy business person exploiting the holidays for his own financial gain. But it's about that person learning a lesson and not like, how can we save Christmas in general? The idea 
Elf doesn't ask any questions that are so big that it can't answer them and then just have to ignore things that it brings up. Sure, but Elf actually does probably what this movie needs, and it ends with a moment where it asks everyone to believe in Santa, this idea of Santa, or someone that's so generous mm-hmm. that's willing to help everybody. Yeah. Um, I it, think when I said that, like, you know, Santa doesn't have that moment of saving Christmas, like, yeah, it's, I mean, this is probably happening in, like, June. <laughs> it's just, it's just it, it, Santa becomes a superhero, yeah. and he's summoned, and it's not like a, you know, the, it isn't that Christmas yeah. Eve scramble to, to write everything. Uh, do you have a pitch for Santa Claus the movie 2? Uh, what would you do if, with the sequel? Uh, let's see. Um, would we bring Lithgow back? This time he has an even more elaborate plan? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he uh, encounters uh, some moon men. Okay. No, I have no idea. I, I, <laughs> th- th- this leaves nothing open for a sequel. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess you could say that about any superhero movie necessarily. It's just there's, they introduce characters or characters come back. Like maybe Patch is like, or like one of, what's his name? The elf that... Um, Puffy? Maybe Puffy wants revenge and uh, gets out of control and has like a rival Santa business. Yeah, I mean, I guess what superheroes have that Santa doesn't is, um, you know, they have these large rogues galleries. They fight crime. There is always crime. Santa delivers toys one day. That's his thing. But that one day burns him out, man. It does burn him out. Yeah. Maybe, uh, oh, you're, you've been the chosen one long enough. We need to fi- You need to find a new Santa. Isn't that the Tim Allen movie? <laughs> oh, the Santa Claus, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, he inadvertently kills Santa. That's um the Santa Claus, like right. Claus is spelled out like, you know, mm-hmm. like in the contract. And they made three of those. Yeah. Oof. The second one I think he finds Mrs. Claus. Mm-hmm. And then I think in the third one he, he fights, fights Jack Frost yeah. as played by Martin Short. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean I guess I could rope in other um Christmas characters yeah, does, or holiday did, does Disney own the rights to this? They can probably like add it with some other IP and <laughs> sure bring in uh, uh, maybe we'll add Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, or Jack Skellington. There you go. Perfect. They'll mm-hmm. team up. <laughs> no, I don't think this needs a sequel. No, I think. But you know they would have. Oh, absolutely. If but it wasn't I, a bomb, and it would have been completely antithetical to the point they're trying to make with the whole Christmas two idea. But I love these sort of cultural oddities. Is the best way to sort of describe this. Because, again, I, I don't know who wanted this movie, but they're like, kids love Santa. Sure. And that was it. That was the only... <laughs> <laughs> what do the kids love nowadays? The kids love Santa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. There was one scene in the movie where... Um, so it's after Patch is working on the candy canes for Christmas 2, and he's like, he's in like a factory basement, and it's very dark. And I felt very unsettled watching it now as an adult because I, I like I suddenly remembered that scene and him in that room. And I was made I was like, oh, I don't I don't feel I feel like distressed right now. And then a couple of scenes later, uh, that same boiler room is where they bound and gag Joe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's this is why this scene was traumatizing. Cause, like <laughs> these these grownups just like kidnap and torture a kid. Um, very weird. Movies all over the place. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. So you know, it uh, evoked equal parts fond remembrances and uh, dread from watching it. I also remember the blizzard being a lot longer. I think it just the idea that like Santa's on the brink of death at the beginning of the movie was very distressing. It's funny too because 
the reindeer just just can't go on anymore and they just lay down and santa's just like all you have to do is go right there and there's going to be plenty of reindeer food Mm -hmm. you'll save us it feels like throughout the whole movie santa relies on so many people to do what he needs to do Mm -hmm. without actually doing a lot of things on his own well you know it's true they say about christmas it takes a village santa's village visit new hampshire do you ever go to Santa's Village? Is a like small amusement park. I haven't. Meg's talked about it mm-hmm. a lot. Yep. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Her dad has like an elaborate model Santa's Village with like it's like a whole town, and he sets it up every year, and it like fills up the entirety of their basement. Wow. It kind of like goes around the perimeter, and he has like a big table with it, and it's got like fake snow. Is there a train? I think there's a train. Yeah. I don't know. Some people really get into Christmas and he's, well, to give context, Meg's dad looks like Santa. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's really tall, rosy, rosy red cheeks, really white, white gray beard and and hair. One time we were at, uh, we went to Disney as a family. We were, uh, went to Mickey's Christmas party, which is essentially like they charge you more to go. Of course. at, At night and they have a parade that's Christmas themed and they make it snow which looks cool. And they hand out hot chocolate and cookies. And we were waiting in line um, for Pirates of the Caribbean. And this little girl is just like staring at Meg's dad, just like staring him down. And I look at the little girl and I go, I point to to Meg's dad and I I go, that's Santa, Santa. And she's just like looking at me and Meg's dad just kind of looks at her with that twinkle in his eye and he's like playing it down a bit. And he's just like chuckling to himself a bit. It was really, it was really funny. But we talk about him being Santa all the time. Mm -hmm. And I met Santa at a wedding the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. The Santa? It looked like him. He had really long gray hair and a really long beard. I guess he he plays Santa. Oh, okay. One of the many. Oh, yeah. I think there are like local chapters of like Santa lookalikes and stuff. Instead of our usual recommendations based off of the movie, and this, I mean, this is sort of in the same wheelhouse, but what are your favorite perennial holiday pop culture shows movies books whatever sure there is one of my favorite simpsons episodes is a christmas one it's um an episode from season seven um marge be not proud it's the one where uh bart shoplifts the bone storm video game and gets caught oh yeah um which is really great uh i always make a point to watch that Uh, and you know any number of other um Simpsons Christmas episodes. Um, one special that I watched a lot when I was a kid and that Sandra and I still watch every year is, um, did you ever see A Muppet Family Christmas? Oh, yeah. Which is, so the idea here is that um, the Muppet gang, being you know, the characters from The Muppet Show, are driving to Fozzie's mom's cottage to surprise her with a big Christmas visit. Unbeknownst to them, she has booked a trip to Maui for Christmas this year. And has rented her house out to Doc and Sprocket from Fraggle Rock. So the Muppets show up, ruin Fozzie's mom's and Doc's plans for Christmas. But then it turns out that they also invited the Sesame Street gang. And then later Kermit's nephew Robin finds a Fraggle hole in the basement. So it's basically all of the the entire Muppet canon up to that point all coming together in one house for this really lovely and silly and amazing Christmas special and it's great and we watch it every year we'll we can pull it up on YouTube and it still has all the old commercials from whoever um, recorded it and uploaded it 
and we always end up watching this one that it ends and the credits start to roll and it's like tonight at 11 on the news uh three children were murdered and blah 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 and it's like it's really jarring you're like oh this is so nice and like a, a horrible news broadcast kicks in over the the christmas music playing at the end um but yeah that's that's probably my favorite what about you one of my favorites is um i know the rankin bass specials are all pretty popular mm -hmm. but one of my favorites is one of the weirder ones and it's called the life and adventures of santa claus and it, it's similar to santa claus the movie in that it it has the origin story for santa and in a, a lot of in a lot of ways it's also similar to superman again because it has this origin story where uh santa is raised by these immortals that live in the woods and they kind of represent uh, mother nature and, and death and, and, and all these other kind of broader philosophical concepts. Um, and so he's raised there and, and so he's pure of heart and he goes to live with the people and decides that he needs to take care of the children and he starts making uh, toys for them. And so a lot of the movie is, is based off of a book of the same name by L. Frank Baum and it's about these immortals deciding whether or not they should allow Santa to become immortal. And it's got these really great creature designs for the fairies and elves and, and um, the great Ak, who's kind of like the leader of all the immortals. It's always my favorite because it's like this strange, kind of creepy, off-kilter Santa origin story. Um, so I always gravitated towards that one when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, another favorite of mine was The Year Without a Santa Claus which is the one with Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was always just a big favorite around our house because, um, again, that the song, the songs associated with Heat Miser and Snow Miser are always so fun, so we kind of sing those all year. Mm -hmm. um, and the character designs are pretty great. But that's where Santa gets sick, and so um, they have to ask Heat Miser to allow it to be warm around Christmas time in order for Santa to to travel while he's sick. Uh, and Snow Miser's just like, what are you talking about? I let it be warm for Christmas, which doesn't take into effect that Santa delivers presents throughout the world and that there's different temperatures. And I can't imagine people in California ever have enjoyed this this special. But for someone that grew up in, in New England, it, <laughs> sure, it worked for me. Um, but that was a favorite. And another favorite that I, 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 I love to break out is, is Gremlins. Yeah, there's always um, the handful of movies that happen to take place at Christmas. Yeah. Gremlins is a great one. I think what works with, with Gremlins and what connects it to Christmas is this idea that it's about, you know, finding the perfect gift for someone. Mm -hmm. And that's why it makes it maybe more Christmassy than something like Die Hard, which just happens to take place at, during Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it gets into consumerism in this again with the 80s excess and this need for, for buying things. Yeah. Um, the idea that there's a you know, this is a thing that comes with a certain responsibility that that can't be bought. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, uh, Billy's dad defies that and then hell ensues. Sure. And it's really mischievous and just masterfully directed by Joe Dante. Um, and the puppets look amazing. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of sick, weird, dark humor in it, especially with Phoebe Cates telling her story about how she found out. Santa Claus is not real. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that carries into the sequel, which is also great and wonderful in its own unique ways. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Non-Christmas Christmas movies like uh, Batman Returns is always a fun one. Oh, yeah. I love Batman Returns. Yeah. I watched it last time around this year, and, and, and afterwards I was like, oh, you know what? I need to buy the soundtrack. 
because that's going to be a perennial favorite for us. And that's a thing for, with Meg, too. She loves Christmas music. And for her, because she has a dance school and they have a, a performance at the end of every year where they, they put on a, a, like a holiday show, Christmas show. Um, so she starts listening to Christmas music pretty early because of that, because mm-hmm. they're preparing for sure. the show. So it starts kind of getting integrated into our daily lives uh, around September or so. Oh, yeah. Um, at the time of recording this, I'm surprised that Sandra has not put the Handsome Christmas album on yet. <laughs> we don't have that one. We listen to a lot of Sinatra mm-hmm. uh, and Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, she really likes the Bing Crosby Christmas album. And recently we watched the um, his Christmas movies, White Christmas. Oh, yeah. White Christmas is a, an annual favorite yeah. to put on. Um, last year we watched Christmas in Connecticut with Robert Mitchum, which was really fun. So that's a, a new one that we may revisit. We've always tried to find those older Christmas movies that maybe fallen by the wayside or have just been forgotten through time um so a few of those are pretty great but that was that one's really good yeah i really like um a very murray christmas too the bill murray christmas special on netflix that was really fun yeah we've also added meet me in st louis as Mm -hmm. kind of like a yearly tradition uh and that's one of my favorite uh judy garland movies directed by vincent minnelli and that's not necessarily a christmas movie but it spans the whole year uh so it includes christmas and have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was written for that movie. And as performed by Judy Garland, it's actually pretty heartbreaking. And the original lyrics are, uh, which they had to change. And the song became popularized by Frank Sinatra and his lyrics are, are a little different. The original lyrics are, um, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Cause this year might be your last in relation to the fact that the, there's this whole family that the movie's centered around and they may have to move from their home. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and so it it's a really sad moment, and uh, I love the movie, and, and I, I recommend that one to everybody. Um, my final Christmas pick, because as, the more we talk about it, the more I remember, uh, and this is a big one for my family as well, is uh, Scrooge, oh, which yeah. uh, from 1971, uh, Albert Finney plays Scrooge, and uh, Alec Guinness plays Marley which is really great. Um, and it's kind of a weird one. I, I, you know, I think I think more people have actually seen it and are familiar with it than I initially thought. But I know growing up, um, it was not something that my friends were too familiar with, but my family loves it. Um, my mom and my uncle yeah. and my cousin can all like recite it line for line. It was my grandmother's favorite Christmas movie. So it's, it's nice to um, sort of revisit that every year and it's, it's just my my grandmother um died like uh, 10 or 12 years ago so it's sort of been our way of uh kind of keeping her a part of christmas every year yeah it's it's great finney is like he's so gross like i appreciate it more every time i see just how like gnarly and like scrooge has like the all like the grime under his fingernails from counting money and like he's so cheap that his house is just like full of cobwebs and gross and you know he only lights a candle when he absolutely has to. They really like play into how much of a miser he was, and it's it's a lot of fun. We didn't watch that one. We would watch the George C. Scott one. Oh, uh, okay. That was like my whole extended family's annual Christmas Carol tradition. I mean, there are so many of there them. There are so many at this point, yeah. What are we talking about next time? Yeah, well, the next episode will um, be the, our first of 2020. It'll be shortly after the new year. So I, I think what we're going to do is not necessarily focus on any one particular thing, but kind of look back at our 2019 and talk about um, the pop culture of that year that we caught and also, you know, maybe some other things that we've caught up with, 
you know, I certainly know I've got a, a handful of uh, well-received video games that I played over the year or, or some from past years that I had missed and caught up on, a lot of books, yeah. other TV and movies that we haven't discussed. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be nice to sort of, uh, you know, kind of take a break from uh, a more focused deep dive and, and just sort of talk about some of the things that we engaged with and really liked. It was an interesting year because, like, everything was sort of, you know, my viewing and listening habits were kind of revolved around the show and the show kind of not I mean the show didn't always come first but it drove a lot of what it drove we were a lot of what with. we were we were connecting to so mm-hmm. it'll be fun to kind of talk about the show in total to this point and also talk about 2019 and things that maybe excited us or old things we caught up on which we've kind of briefly mentioned here and there so it'll be fun to maybe go into a bit a little a little more in depth on things like you know Godzilla for me this year. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, happy holidays and thanks for listening and we will see you all in 2020. Bye. Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on social media at What Did We Miss? And you can drop us a line at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And as always, thank you to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence. And if you want to learn more about them, look them up on social media at What Cheer Club and on their website at whatcheerclub.org. <laughs>